morning. Well, this morning, we are going to look at healthy habits for spiritual formation. And I want to warn you at the very beginning, this topic is not meant to be a one-off sermon. It's meant to be a lifelong conversation for the saints of the church. Meaning, this is meant for you to engage with long after I'm not up here. It's my prayer and hope that today will start a conversation, one not between you and me alone, but between every single person around you this morning. One where the church engages with one another. A conversation which I hope and believe you will find deeply interesting and important, because at the very center of it is your eternal joy. I hope today, this morning, you will find this sermon deeply practical. We will be reading, referencing, and alluding to a lot of different Bible verses. So what I recommend is that you take notes to engage with others in conversation later. Our main passage this morning is 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 18. That's just it, one verse. It says this, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let me pray. Lord, I ask right now, that you would stir your church up. That we would all want to grow. That we would be hungry and desirous of more of you. Lord, would you increase our desire this morning to, to press in after you, to be near to you. And Lord, would your church take comfort even in this moment that you delight to draw near to us. You will finish what you started. So it's in the name of Jesus that we all pray. Amen. Amen. So this passage, we but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We, we have to ask first, what is grace and what is knowledge in this verse? Well, grace means unmerited favor. Favor that we don't deserve. We didn't earn. But how do you grow in grace. I think it matters that in this passage it says that it's the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. What undeserving favor do we receive from Jesus? Our salvation. That is something we have now in Jesus. It's a sure thing. You have been declared righteous through Jesus. If you have professed faith, you've laid down your life to him as your Lord and Savior, then you have been declared righteous. But it's also something that is still happening right now. We've been declared righteous, but we're also being made righteous. In the church, we want to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and invite people to come as they are, but not stay as they came. Which means we are growing and looking more and more and more like Jesus. That is our call. So this grace that we're called to grow in is the unmerited favor of being remade into the image of Jesus himself. What's the knowledge? Is it just knowing the right things? No. No, it's a knowledge of Jesus. So it's a knowing of Jesus. 
I love that this verse includes the word our. It says, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That word is deeply personal and at the same time, deeply communal. This is our Lord. This is our Savior. And we're to grow in knowing him more and more in a relational knowledge. Now, we primarily get this knowledge through Scripture because it's where God has decided to self-disclose himself. But there are people who know a lot about Scripture and don't know Jesus. Right? There are people who know a lot of the right things but have a cold and dead heart to Christ. So, it's not a matter of just our brain. It's not a matter of just having this knowledge grow up here. It's about having that knowledge here and here in our hearts. But how do we do that? How do we have a knowledge that connects to our minds and our hearts? That's what we want to grow in, and we're commanded to grow in it. But before I get how, I want to go here. 2 Peter 3.18 is the final verse of Peter's second letter. And this final verse, in many ways, is a summary of his entire letter to this church. He, throughout the letter, is warning that there are false teachers and false teachings that are rife through the church. And he warns in verse 17, the verse just before the one we read this morning, that even Christians can lose their stability in their faith. And his caution to them about losing their balance, losing their footing, his answer to it to the church is, hey, you don't want to lose your stability, so grow in the grace and knowledge of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, we're spending our time this morning looking at the question, how do we grow in grace and knowledge? But before we do, can I ask a simple question? How stable is your faith this morning? How stable is your faith this morning? See, every time in church history, there are false teachers and false teachings. There are many voices that vie from us to walk away from the good news of Jesus. And every generation sees people who are in the church leave the church and walk away from Christ. And it's disorienting. It's shaking. So I ask you, how stable is your faith this morning? There was a period of my life, years and years and years ago, where all of my friends, everyone around me, was all into longboarding and skateboarding. Every single one of them. They all loved to do it. So if someone called me up and said, hey, you want to go over to this person's house and hang out tonight? What they meant was they want me to grab my longboard and come over because we're going to ride all night. And so there was a period of my life that... I would gather with friends, I'd get on my longboard, and they'd be on their boards, and, and we would go down to the hills in the suburbs of Maryland, finding those nice hills where there's not a lot of traffic and gaining speed, the wind's whipping past you, your clothes is shaking, you go to a bend and you take it real sharp and you just fly right through it. I want you to know something. Personally, I hated every moment of it. I hated it. I absolutely hated it because I was terrible at it. I was so bad at it. The entire time, 
I, I, I had just enough balance to do it, but not enough to ever feel comfortable. Right? I had just enough balance to stay on my board, but the entire time I was this close to wiping out. My footing was unsure. I felt unbalanced. My friends probably knew that I wasn't particularly good at it. It was very obvious. But I doubt they knew how unsure and unbalanced I always felt. And I wonder this morning if you can relate. Maybe it comes up as questions or doubts you have in your conversations. Maybe it's being unsure how reliable the Bible is. Or being uncomfortable with something that it teaches. It might come out as a passing comment from time to time, but your friends, they have really no idea how unsure and unstable your faith feels this morning. Or maybe, maybe you haven't felt stability in a very long time. And maybe you're actually starting to grow comfortable with that feeling. You feel unstable, and you know there are things that you question about your faith, but you have no desire to actually look further into it. Can I gently suggest something this morning? Instability is not a place you want to live your life. It's not where you want to live. Peter's encouragement to people who, who to say don't lose your stability is to grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus. To grow. That's where you're going to find your stability. Maybe this morning you can't relate. Maybe this morning you feel incredibly stable. As a matter of fact, you feel so confident you're standing on all the right things. You know the right doctrines. You have all the truths. You know all the right things to say. Wonderful. Wonderful. Can I maybe gently push back there too? You know you're not done growing yet, right? You're not done. See, Jesus has started a work he's going to finish. So you haven't finished it yet. We're not done growing, church. If you feel confident you're standing on all the right things, that you know all the right doctrines, and, 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 and you're comfortable with where you are in your life looking like Jesus. You say, I've grown in enough grace. I look close enough. Can I suggest that you might be more unstable than you realize? The command is to grow and grow continually. Don't stop growing, brothers and sisters. This is a core part of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, is that we are always leaning in and wanting to grow more in grace and knowledge of him. As a church, we don't want to get to a place where our love of Jesus goes cold. We become lukewarm. So we must all continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. But how? How do we grow in this grace and knowledge? First, we must acknowledge that we don't force God's hand. God is not someone who we control. We don't earn God's grace, but God does have well-worn paths in which he loves to walk down and meet his people. God does have well-worn paths in which he delights to walk down and encounter his people. 
And it's on those paths that God loves to pour out grace upon us. Donald Whitney, in his book, Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life, points out that we have an example in the life of Zacchaeus. I'm going to read this passage. It's Luke chapter 19, verse 1 through 10. He, that is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down, and he received him joyfully. And when they saw it, that's religious people, they all grumbled. He's gone to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. What what happened in this story? Well, Zacchaeus put himself in the way of grace. Zacchaeus put himself in the way of grace. He, he knew that Jesus was coming by upon this path. He knew that Jesus was nearby, but because of his height and the crowds, he could not see Jesus. So what does he do? He runs ahead. He knows that Jesus is heading that way, so he goes ahead. He finds a tree, and he puts in the effort to climb up that tree. And he catches a glimpse of Jesus. Jesus is walking by, and Jesus looks up at him, locks eyes with him, and invites himself into Zacchaeus' life. I mean, that is just an incredible move. I I imagine walking out in the lobby today, looking at someone and saying, hey, you, staying at your house tonight. (laughs) And they went with it. That's what Jesus just did. He invited himself into Zacchaeus' life. And what happens to Zacchaeus? This, This encounter with grace, it gives him joy. He gets out of the tree filled with joy. And the encounter with Jesus ultimately leads to his life being transformed. That's incredible. So what would happen if we use the story of Zacchaeus as a parable for our lives? What lessons could we take away this morning? For sake of time, I boiled it down to two questions for us this morning. What are the paths that God loves to meet his people on? And two, what trees do you, I need to climb? What are the paths that Jesus loves to meet his people on, and what trees do we need to climb? Well, I believe the well-worn paths of grace are the normal means that the church has had from the very beginning. They've been called spiritual disciplines, means of grace, or more recently, the habits of grace. Simply, they're how we're spiritually formed. This includes, but isn't limited to, Bible reading, Bible study, scripture meditation, memorization, journaling, 
fasting, prayer, solitude, silence, corporate worship, fellowship, and others. For the rest of this morning, I'm going to use the term habits of grace. It's also the name of an excellent book right here by David Mathis. This book is really, really practical and helpful. And it includes tons of stuff that I have absolutely no time to talk about today. And so if you, I think we're working on getting a list of resources and updating the resources we have at the church in our connector room. I think this book will be one of them. If you want to wait, you can. But if you don't want to wait, you can get it online pretty much anywhere they sell books. But it's so practical and helpful. And the reason why I'm going to use habits of grace, that, that term today, is because it captures all that we're called to participate. It's a habit. It's, it's, it's effort. All that we're called to put in that, it's all about grace. It's all about Christ's unmerited favor to his people. And that's important that we say that because this is not legalism. Here's why it's so important that it's not legalism, that we make sure that we know in our hearts as we approach this topic. It's because there are trees that we need to climb. There, that means there is effort. There's things that we have to go to and form in our lives. And I think that the answer to the second question, right, the first one, which paths the Lord loves to go down, the second one is the same as the first Every well-worn path that the Lord loves to meet his people on has a tree. And when we engage in the habits of grace, there is effort. We, like Zacchaeus, are climbing a tree so that we might be near Jesus and get a glimpse of him. And every time you climb that tree, you could get a glimpse of our Lord and Savior. But there are some times where it turns into something far more. All of it is grace. God wants us to participate, but every encounter is a part of his unmerited favor in our lives. We're simply putting ourselves in the way of grace that we might have an encounter. Sometimes we climb the tree of scripture reading and we walk away amazed by the gospel or touched by an aspect of who God is. You ever experienced that? It's good. Sometimes, sometimes we climb the tree of solitude and prayer and the Lord quiets an anxious thought that's been holding on to us. You've ever experienced that? Sometimes we climb the tree of corporate worship and we engage with singing and prayers and the preaching of the word and we walk away from time together with a palpable sense that we were just with God himself. I hope you feel that. These times are amazing. They are rich. They're exciting. But at other times, in the word or prayer in church, we walk away feeling like not very much happened at all. Have you ever experienced that? What do we make of this? First, our God, as C.S. Lewis would say, is not a tame lion. He doesn't come at every one of our whistles. He doesn't come because we call him to come and make him come. Just because you climbed a tree doesn't mean God has to change what you want. I think we often climb trees of the habits of grace with a list of demands clutched in our hands. This is how I want God to show up. This is the thing that I want him to do, and I want him to do it in this particular way. And it's okay to come with petitions and requests to the Lord, but often we come saying God must show up in this way for me. God will do what he deems is best for us. 
He loves us. It will be good for us, but it often it doesn't match what we hold into our hands. But secondly, if you're coming to Jesus, you, you, you genuinely just want to grow. You want to grow in grace and knowledge of him. You're not coming with a list of demands. I have good news for you. Just because you didn't feel anything doesn't mean nothing happened. Oh, man. I, matter of fact, most of your growth in your Christian life will not be noticed at all when it's happening. How's that? Every year around Christmas, I'm reminded of this when, when I go and visit my family uh, up in Maryland. Uh, Art and I go. We take our daughter, Margo, and Eloise. We get there, and we get through the front door. And inevitably, almost every single time, one of the very first things you hear said out loud is, My, how much you've grown! I didn't even notice they grew at all. My kids, I'm, I'm around them all the time that I have to look at old pictures to realize that they were younger ones. I'm too close. I'm too familiar. I don't see the change. But someone who's had time or space, they see it and it's jarring to them what is completely oblivious to me. And it's the same with us. You will likely not read your Bible one time and grow Right? You're not going to just spring up. You read the Bible and spiritually you're just several feet taller. Instead, through hundreds and thousands of decisions to go back to Jesus and spend time with God, you will grow inch by inch. Brothers and sisters, can we agree that we want to grow spiritually? Can we agree that we want to grow in grace, to be formed into the image of Jesus, our Lord and Savior, and that we want to know him more. Let's press in after that. That's a part of being a follower of Christ. Can we lay aside our list of demands and like Zacchaeus, can we come to Jesus as we are? Because if we place ourselves in the way of grace, God loves to graciously encounter us. To grow, to do this, we need to form God-honoring, healthy habits of grace in our lives. It requires effort, like Zacchaeus climbing the tree, but it's absolutely dependent on his grace. And thankfully, we know well-worn paths that our God loves to walk on and lead his people. So we're going to spend the remainder of our time together this morning looking at a few of these wonderful paths. David Mathis, he breaks up his book, Habits of Grace, all the habits of grace he lists in there. He breaks them up into three major categories. The first is hearing his voice, which is the word. The second is having his ear, which is prayer. And the last is belonging to his body, which is fellowship. I'm going to touch briefly on all of those. The Bible is where we begin because it's God's self-disclosure of himself. The words in this book are the very words of God spoken to us so that we might know him and grow into Christ. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That means the man, uh, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. All of scripture is from God's mouth. Every bit of it is profitable for us growing. We need these words. We need these words desperately probably more desperately than we're aware of at this moment. While fasting in the desert and being tempted by Satan, Jesus quoted Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. He said, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. 
Have you, have you ever been hungry, like physically hungry, just a little bit, and exclaim something like this? I'm starving. I know I have. I do it all the time. At the slightest pang of physical hunger, I start dealing in hyperboles. I start just moaning and groaning. I'm going to faint. I'm so hungry. Shane, you missed breakfast. See, we have bodies that need food, so we nourish our bodies by eating regularly. We were not meant to live on bread alone. We were meant to live by the words that come from the mouth of God. Is it possible that this morning you are actually starving? Is it possible that you are starving this morning, that that you've been ignoring the desperate aches and pleas of your soul? Your soul crying out and saying, we need nourishment, we need food, we need the words of God. And we can hear our stomachs so easily, but our souls somehow we numb and quiet away. Brothers and sisters, do not let your intake of the word, your feeding of the soul, come on Sunday mornings alone. The preaching of the word is so valuable, but it's not meant to replace your time in the word. It's meant to accompany it. Feed your souls with the words of God. It's amazing to me that that in the Old Testament, one of God's punishments for the nation of Israel, that he would remove his words from them. It would be a punishment, a famine of hearing from God. And there's a reality that we have so many Bibles around our home filled with the words of God, and we are starving ourselves to death. Brothers and sisters, go to God's word and read it. Because God loves to be on this path. This is absolutely where God loves to encounter his people and pour out grace into your lives. So open up your Bibles and read it. And don't just read, meditate on it. Psalm 1, verse 1 and 2 says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seats of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. What does it mean to meditate? Well, we can read several chapters of the Bible, and that is good and wonderful, but meditating is when we narrow in on something and we ask questions of it. We ponder it. We, we chew on it. And we're all limited by time. So maybe in the morning you get up and you are able to just read a chapter of the Bible and then you have to go. You go about your busy day and what you read in the morning, you, you, you can't just go back and open up your Bible at your desk. You can't do it while you're driving your car. But you can meditate on something. Often what I will do is I will, I will find something in the passage, something that I read, a promise that was made in the passage, or, or a truth about God, or even it could be something that's hard for me to understand. And I'll often take out an index card, and I'll just write down that verse, and I'll put it in my pocket. And throughout the day, when I have a moment of free mental space, and, 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 and I, I think to do it, it's not like I'm always on default there, but, but when I get those moments in the day, and I go, you know what? I could think about that. I'll revisit it. 
and I'll think about it. And I'll let it interact with my day because so often what you read in the morning in this environment in your home, it, it, it brings to life things that you encounter throughout the day. So I'll look at a truth about God, an attribute about him, and I'm meditating on it. And then I'm going through a hard thing in my job or in my health or I get bad news from a friend. And suddenly that truth means something. And I need to be meditating on it. I need to be asking questions of it, pondering it. And when I do, something amazing happens. That truth becomes far more precious to me. It becomes richer and deeper. See, Bible reading is putting the words here in our mind. Meditation is when we try to take those truths and we press them down into our hearts. See, we can read a lot and forget everything we read, but you hold on to something and you take that and you try to work that into your heart, into your soul. And once that truth makes it into our hearts, it's not done. Truth about God is meant to be pressed down in our hearts so that we can treasure it. We can have joy and so that we can worship. One of the greatest ways to express worship is also one of the most neglected habits of grace. Several years ago, I had the privilege to be at a young adults meeting where we had a missionary from Zimbabwe come. He was a missionary to college campuses. His name was Tebiso. And Tebiso, he came, he had actually been in the States for about three months at this point. He came to meet with church leaders and pastors of a particular denomination. And they had taken him around to their churches. He had seen their, their planning meetings. He'd been involved in their preaching, uh, their recaps of their Sundays when they talk about it and pray together. Uh, he'd been a part of uh, being invited into people's homes, having dinner with Christians. He had been here for a while. And we had him at our young adults meeting, and one of my friends asked an incredibly wise question. He said, you've been here for a while now. You, you've seen churches, you've seen church leaders, our pastors, you've been in Christians' homes. You, you've seen a lot of us as a brother from Africa, from Zimbabwe. What do you see in our church? What are we missing? Where do we need to grow what are we strong in? What do you see? And he thanked my friend. He said, although he had been here for several months, amongst church leaders and pastors and churches, it was the very first time someone asked him what he saw. And then the words he said next, they haunt me to today. I could still hear his voice, his accent. I could still hear him saying. He, he looked at me, he said, you know what I notice when I look at your church, when I look at the church here I see prayerlessness. Says, he, said, he said, you guys have meetings where there's a difficult decision to be made and you might punctuate that meeting with a prayer in the beginning and a prayer at the end, but you don't pray until you get an answer. He says, before a meal, you gather and you, you say a prayer of thanksgiving to God, but, but throughout the entire day, I don't hear praises or prayers of thanksgiving. He says, you as Christians, you get together, you see one another, you have conversations, you have joy, fellowship, laughter, and you walk away never once even considering to pray together. And he concluded that, that the, the hesitancy that we have, the slowness we have to pray out loud together could only mean that maybe we have a hesitancy to pray all together. You know what? I think he was on to something. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 17 says this, 
pray without ceasing. Listen, if you want a healthy habit of scripture memorization, start with this verse. Because it's easy. Pray without ceasing. Bam, done, memorized. What an incredibly easy verse to memorize and what a really hard one to actually obey. Right? Thankfully, this verse doesn't mean that we close our eyes and we pray all day and do nothing else. We know that. We know that because God gives us other commands, other things to do, and and there's regular lives, and we have all the examples, and Jesus didn't do that. And Jesus actually corrected people who went long-winded in prayers. So it's not that, but what is it after? Often a part of my job, I'll have to meet all around Seminole County. I'll get in my car and I'll drive around. I have a distance to go. And when I'm in the car, if no one else is there, what I usually do, my, my impulse, is I call my wife Arden. And I call her. I have nothing really to talk to her about. It's been a boring day. There's no question. There's no news. I just call her and I talk to her. We make it up. How's your day going? It's going good. Just driving. Why? Why do we have conversations like that? Because I love being around my wife. And I want to connect with her. Like, I enjoy my wife, and so I want to talk to her. I want to hear her voice. Is it possible to have that kind of relationship with God? Yes, it is. But I don't want you to be overwhelmed if you don't have it right now. We're talking about growing in grace and knowledge of Jesus. So we're talking about habits of grace. We want to grow in this, and every single person around you right now needs to grow in this. We all need to grow. If reading the Bible is hearing from God, then prayer is having his ear. Both of these are necessary for relationship. It's communication. These are important aspects to prayer, but uh, I want to challenge us to something. We often think of prayer as confession of sin and supplication. That's asking God for things. And those are good. They're not wrong. They are good things. We are to do that. You are to confess your sins to the Lord in prayer. You're to bring your requests to the Lord, petitions to the Lord. But the point of prayer is that we would have more of God himself. Prayer is not about getting things from God. It's about getting God. C.S. Lewis once said this, Prayer, in the sense of petition, asking for things, is a small part of it. Confession and penitence are its threshold. Adoration, its sanctuary. The presence and vision and enjoyment of God It's bread and wine. Prayer is where we can treasure God more and more. And the more we do this, the more you spend time there, the more you climb the tree of prayer and get in the presence of God and pray, the more you want to. The more you're encountered and grow. Earlier, I was talking about how meditating on Scripture is taking truth and pressing it down into our hearts. When truth is in our hearts, we can treasure it. We can worship. Prayer is a way we can give voice to our treasuring. We speak to God what it is that's in our hearts. We adore him. We treasure. We rejoice. And we do this more and more. We grow more and more in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. So church, we're climbing the tree of scripture reading and the tree of prayer that we might see Jesus and encounter him. Lastly, this morning, I want to speak to our corporate gatherings. I mean both Sunday mornings and and our gatherings throughout the weeks and community groups. 
In many ways, this is the height of the habits of grace. I say that because when we gather as a church, the word, prayer, and fellowship are all found in one place. Aside from my notes, you ever walk out of church just feeling lighter? You ever walk into church and, and you're part of church and you just feel like a breath of fresh air is just breathed into you? Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 through 24 says this, Let's hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here in this passage, we find a very unhelpful habit. See, we're pursuing habits of grace, but some of them have gotten into the habit of not meeting together at all. I understand the temptation. Sometimes we think we have just too much going on. Anyone ever face that struggle? You think about your week, and you're like, well, you've got to go to church, but there's so much happening this week. Sometimes we don't want people prying into the messiness of our lives. You ever have that? Oh, man, I'm a mess. I don't not this week. I'll, I'll wait a couple weeks until I'm better. Or sometimes we're tired of pretending to be something that we're not. Do you see how all three of those cases, corporate worship is exactly what we need? When you feel too busy, you need to slow down and put your feet on the solid ground of Christ. When you're ashamed of your life and the messiness of who you are, you need to be around brothers and sisters whose lives are just as messy as yours to speak truth, to pray, to hear their voices singing. You need them to remind you that our God is big enough for our messes. And when you put on a mask and you feel fake, we need to go. We need to be here so that the light of the gospel can penetrate the hard mask we put over our frail lives. We need to be set free because we often go back to the life of slavery and sin while pretending to others that we're okay. We're not okay. We're not okay. We know that because Jesus had to come for us. So it's okay. Come to church. Don't hide it. All of this can get messy. I mean, I'm here. I'm a sinner. I know that. I will let you down. I know that. I will absolutely let you down. People will let you down. People here will let you down. And sometimes we think that it's just easier to pull completely away. And some have. Do you know what I think we also do? Even people here this morning, I think we often import our corporate worship. With the internet, we have access to thousands of churches, thousands of preachers, thousands of worship leaders, and thousands of counselors. Through TikTok, we hear sound bites. Through YouTube or podcasts, we get our teachings. And, and through Spotify, we get worship. All of these can be great things. All of them can be good things that, that encourage us, that help us. And, and we can share with brothers and sisters in Christ. These, these are good things, can be good things. But can I bring a caution here? You know, disembodied means to exist without a body. I think, I think that these resources have a disensouled aspect to them. 
See, there's someone there, they're speaking to you, but they don't know you and you don't actually know them. That person doesn't love you and you don't love them. I lament when people are asked who their favorite preacher is. Many people, not all of you, I'm sure, many will say someone famous. I used to do it. I used to say John Piper. Come on, John Piper. Great preacher. And he is. He's a great preacher. But you know who should be our favorite preachers? Our local pastors. Weird pat on the back up here, right? Is it because we're the most gifted? No. Is it because we're the most interesting? No. The most read? No. The smartest? No. Why? Because we're the only preachers preaching to you. We know you. We love you. And you can know and love us too. And and your local pastors have to one day stand before the Lord and give an account for how they shepherd you. That's who you want to preach to you. Why do we love celebrity Christians so much? Because I think we are far enough away that there's little risk in getting hurt. Right? There's a way of being hurt. When you're in relationship with someone, there are little hurts and misunderstandings and even slights and intentional ones. Right? Like, I'm not kidding. I will let you down. I'll forget I told you I want to get together with you. I will do that. And we will have friction. And it's not comfortable. And so for many of us, we love the celebrity pastor, right? We love the celebrity Christian. Because they, I don't have to have that. I have this some kind of relationship with them, but I don't know them. And they don't know me. And I think that's why for some of us, it hurts so deeply when they fail so spectacularly. See, you weren't in relationship with them. You didn't see all the things the people in their church or around them actually see. You just see the highlight reels. And then when they let us down, we're wounded so deeply because they were not supposed to be able to do that. They were supposed to be perfect. You know, I'd rather be hurt by someone here in this room who loves me and knows me and is walking together with me towards Jesus than someone I don't know at all. I'd rather have the little aches and pains of walking together in relationship and the checks and guards of you calling me out and me calling you out and us holding each other accountable as we walk together to see our Lord. So I'd rather sit underneath the preaching of Chris Jesse than John Piper. I'd rather learn to praise God in song with Allison Myers, Caleb Stafford, Hannah Jennis, Caleb Cook, and the rest of them than Hillsong or Maverick City. I'd rather learn to pray with Terry Kubik or Debbie Walters than Priscilla Schreier. Because they love me, and I love them. They know me, and I know them. As a church, we are growing together in the grace and knowledge of Jesus. As we come to a close, we need to acknowledge that these habits of grace will look different for all of us. We are in different seasons of life with different freedoms and limitations. Some can wake up early and read the Bible, and others need to squeeze some time in between naps. Some can read and study for hours, while others will find just 15 minutes hard this week. 
Some will pray regularly in their closet at a regular time, and others of us will pray at any moment in every part of the day where we get a chance. But we're all after the same thing. I want to see Jesus. I want to put myself in the way of grace with you that we might be encountered by grace. We only looked at three paths that God loves to meet his people on. Three trees to climb during our week. Reading the Bible, praying, and corporate worship. And even the talking about them, we were so limited in time this morning. We didn't get to talk about how we do that. What, what do I do? What do you do? We didn't get to enter into a conversation. And this is what I warned you of. Church, here's your assignment. Here's your homework. Keep this conversation going. Right? Find brothers and sisters around you and ask them, how do you read the Bible? Are you reading a plan? What are you reading? How do you ask questions of it? What are you meditating on? Look at, look at the tree of scripture memorization. Think Eddie Needham and say, Eddie, how do you memorize scripture the way you do? Because you can just say it and talk to him about it. Go find Lewis Seifert and say, say how, do you, how do you preach the gospel to yourself day after day? Let him tell you the things he's learned and what he's doing. Listen to those who pray, and they're praying truth, scripture, in powerful ways. They're bringing God's word to him, and you hear it, and you go, wow, that is this incredible faith and prayers. Go to them and say, can I pray with you from time to time? Can we get a phone call once a week where we just pray together so I can hear you pray, you can hear me pray, we can pray together to Jesus, and I might grow? And brothers and sisters, do us all a favor. Don't lie about what you're doing. Right? Be honest about how you struggle to read the Bible. Say, you know what? Yeah, you're coming to me about how I pray. To be honest, I'm not doing that well right now. Maybe praying together would be helpful for me too. Because we don't need to hear that we're celebrity rock stars and, and perfect. We need to hear that this is imperfect, messy people who are climbing trees like Zacchaeus and being encountered by the perfect one. Church, always be curious how others around you are growing. Make that a regular question you ask in fellowship. How? How are you growing these days? What, what trees are you climbing? What are the habits of grace? What do you do for those things? Share what you've read. Share what you're meditating on and keep growing together. I want to leave you with this. When we talk about habits of grace, we can be dis tempted to be discouraged, can't we? We go, oh yeah, I want to do all those things. And then we get into the week and we end up having a very bad week. Oh man, I had a streak for three days and then I just, I stopped reading. Brothers and sisters, we're going to fall short. Don't despair. Don't despair. What's the point of climbing these trees? It's not to earn something. It's not to be perfect. See, there was a tree that every single person here needed to climb. And none of us could do it. As we, as we went down our path on a road to destruction in our sin and death, as we were walking to hell, Jesus ran ahead of us. He climbed a tree and he encountered us with grace. You don't have to earn a thing, brothers and sisters. 
So this week, when you put in effort to climb a little tree so that you can put yourself in the way of Jesus, know that he's already put himself in your way. We've been encountered by the greatest grace. So church, as we sing this song, we're climbing a tree together. Climb this tree. Give effort. Sing. Put your heart in a place. Pray. And church, here's the good news. As we all climb a tree together, as Jesus walks down this way, which he does because he loves to meet with his church, we're going to encounter grace.